How are we doing this morning? Feeling good? I know all you students out there, you're thinking about finishing school. You're close. I believe in all of you. You got this. Uh, man, I am so grateful to be here this morning. My name is Mason. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Life Church. Um, I also want to shout out to someone I don't think is here, uh, but I don't know if you guys have the YouVersion Bible app, um, but I do, and uh, they do a verse of the day um, every day, and, and the verse today just really stood out to me. It was Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And um, man, I just kind of have needed, needed that reminder uh, today to, um, to run to him in my, in my struggles, in my worries, in my pain. Um, and I had a, a, I was considering that this morning. I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, that was a good one. I think that's for me. But then I had a student text it to me this morning from our youth ministry. Um, and it just was like God just being like, you need me. And I'm like, oh, yes, Lord, I need you. I need you. Um, so I'm just grateful to that student. If you ever hear this, you're the best. Um, so today our passage is Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, and um, Acts 3, as I look at it, is a case study for us in evangelism. Now, at Life Church, we would call this a sermon about living outward. If you were in the 201 class this last spring, you probably heard a little about this. Uh, but we would say that there are four components, four essential components to the life of a follower of Jesus, and by extension, four essential components of the church. One, first and foremost, most importantly, is upward, our relationship with God. Nothing is more important. That is the purpose, that is why we're here, why we exist, for relationship with him, upward. Then there is inward. Part of our purpose as the church and followers of Jesus is to belong to a community, to be together, to have, we are made for relationship, inward. Forward, we are made for growth, spiritual growth, holistic growth in our life, and we help other people grow. And last but not least, outward, which is evangelism. Now, evangelism, the word, comes from the Greek word euangelion, which is translated as gospel, but what it really means is good news. So you hear evangelism, thinking, think good news. We talk about evangelism. This means communicating the good news of Jesus to those who haven't accepted Jesus. Communicating the good news. And while every Christian that I've ever met would 100% agree with that statement, that evangelism is communicating the good news of Jesus, there are some significant differences in how Christians and churches that I've witnessed approach, believe, and practice evangelism. Some of these practices and beliefs I would consider at best limited in that we're only serving one part of, I think, God's intention for evangelism, and at worst, harmful, both to the church's witness and also to people outside the church that we're trying to reach the point of evangelism in the first place. So the mistaken belief, and this may, these may not be the only mistakes as church we make because you know, we're, we're fallen and messed up, and we're constantly in need of God's grace. But one of the mistaken beliefs that I see is f those are the belief that we, is there's, there's this divorcing of proclaiming the good news from the heart of God. This separation, this divorce of proclaiming the good news, preaching the good news from the heart of God. 
we understand Jesus' command to reach the lost. In Mark 16, 15, we hear the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions and commands us, go and preach the good news. We understand the command, and we want to be obedient to that, to that command, but as we proclaim the good news, we don't actually care about lost people. We don't care where they're at or what they're going through. In fact, sometimes there are people I feel like who proclaim the good news and are obedient to the command to preach it, but not only do they not care very much about the lost, but their heart is almost set against the lost. We're simply doing our duty to witness unconcerned with the lost or their response to the good news that we're preaching. The practice, the mistaken practice I see, is when evangelism is tied exclusively to speaking the good news separated from action. Again, evangelism tied exclusively to speaking and proclaiming and separated from action, from acts of care, compassion, generosity, and provision. And while I can't understand all the reasons for how these mistaken beliefs and practices come together, there's a few key things that I see that I wanted to talk about today. One of the influences producing this mindset, I would say, is, starts with a religious spirit. A religious spirit, and I would define a religious spirit as a person who has information without transformation. It's it's a, their walk with God is about following the rules, separated from the why behind those rules, those commandments, the commission that God has given us. We obey, go and preach the good news, but we don't make the connection that we preach good news and we reach the lost. Because God loves the lost. For God so loved the world, not this rock that we live on, but the people in it. We reach lost people because God loves lost people. And we love because he first loved us. Evangelism was always intended to come from a place of transformation, not just empty obedience. We have to know our why. When we have a religious spirit and we're disconnected from God's heart and his love, the good news proclaimed becomes selfishly motivated. People, lost people, become achievements and projects. It becomes about filling the room rather than the person and, and true God-transformed heart, love, care, and compassion for the lost people that we're reaching. We're not reaching or saving people to a set of rules. We're reaching them to relationship with God and a completely redeemed and transformed life. The other thing that I see influencing mistaken beliefs and practices in evangelism is oversimplification. As a principle, simplifying our life is good. Amen? We all need to simplify. Simplification is a great principle in our life. We, and in fact, I would say many of us probably love to simplify. We love clarity. We like situations where it's black and white because we have to deal with too much gray in our life, probably at this point. But what we can do is that we can crave clarity and simplicity to such an extent that we are guilty of oversimplifying. And many of us have done this with the purpose of the church. I've heard this time and time again. If there's one thing that you could do with your life, if there's one thing to follow the purpose God has for your life, what would it be? And the answer is always, tell people about Jesus. If you really boil it all down, what's our purpose? Tell people about Jesus. 
When you think about acting and displaying God's love through action, that's nice and that's good. But what really matters is telling them about Jesus. You can show them God's love, but if you don't tell them God's love, it doesn't mean very much. And people use that line of thinking, and what a lot of times happens is that we, we kind of ignore or slowly let go of this idea that it's important to act and display God's love to people, and then ultimately all we end up doing is telling people about Jesus rather than showing them the love of God. This is like boiling, keeping a car running down to as long as you kill it, keep it full of gas. If I were to ask my dad, what's one thing I got to do to keep my car running? We'll put gas in it. Okay, but in three to 5,000 miles, if I don't change the oil and check the tire pressure and check my brakes, something wrong's going to happen. I'd be like, what gives? I kept the car full of gas. I oversimplified. Our purpose in evangelism, we cannot simplify it down to one thing. If the only way to reach lost people is through explanation and in that by intellectual means, then we're handicapping ourselves. We're only practicing part of God's intended whole for what evangelism, evangelism is supposed to look like. God communicates to and reaches people through much more than just well-reasoned evidence. He often speaks to the depths of our heart through action, providing needs, answering prayer through miracles. How many of you have ever experienced a hug that said way more than a thousand words ever could? In the same way, God communicates his love to us, his reality to us, his goodness to us, much more than just through our intellect, through well-reasoned arguments. God reaches us through much more than just our words. So today, while I may not have hit every reason or every origin for this thought, I, all, the, really the point I'm trying to get across is these mistaken, this mistaken belief in practice in evangelism of limiting evangelism to only speaking, lacking action. And then within that practice, the belief that we practice evangelism and it's something done more out of duty than motivated by the heart of God, a heart of transformed love, compassion, and empathy for lost people. And today, as I look at Acts 3, I believe that God wants to align our hearts with his intention and his intended purpose for evangelism and what that's meant to look like in our life. And so, unsurprisingly, the, point, or the title of today's message is The Kingdom of God Not Only Proclaimed, But Demonstrated. The Kingdom of God Demonstrated and Proclaimed. So point number one, the kingdom demonstrated in the supernatural. The kingdom demonstrated in the supernatural. Now, you have to bear with me for a moment because before I can jump into the passage, I think we need to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God and, under, and establish an understanding for all of us of what the kingdom of God is and what it means to have a kingdom theology. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus says to the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is already among you. During the lifetime of Jesus, we see him talk a lot about the kingdom of God. And in Luke 17, he makes it abundantly clear. The kingdom of God is already among you. The kingdom of God is here. Now, as a young sixth grader sitting in church, I remember my senior pastor talking about how important it was that I understand the kingdom of God. And I was like, okay, 
but what, what, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? <laughs> like, what are you even talking about? And so today, I thought maybe I would try to break down an understanding and answering that question, what is the kingdom of God? Uh, Roger, you may have to clean up my mess um, after this. Uh, this is just my attempt. I'm very imperfect, but hopefully uh, I can boil this down in a non-heretical, fairly clear, clear way. Um, component number one of what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the family we belong to. It's this community, not just our church, but all the capital C church. If you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if Jesus is the king of your life, then you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we belong first and foremost to the kingdom of God. This is our community. This is where we belong. The kingdom of God is a community. The second component of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is the way of living taught by Jesus. The way of living taught by Jesus. Jesus came to reveal to us in his life who God was, what God was really about, and how God wanted us to live our life. And Jesus is always talking about the way of the kingdom. This is the way the kingdom works. This is how you live when you're a part of the kingdom. And when we look at Jesus' words on the way of the kingdom of God, Jesus taught that Everything that Jesus taught seemed to turn worldly wisdom upside down. This is why we so often call the kingdom of God an upside-down kingdom. Because in Jesus' kingdom, the weak a lot of times defeat the strong. The foolish things shame the wise. The poor are blessed above the rich. The servant is the leader. And so on and so on and so on. But as we look at the way that Jesus calls us to live our life and the way that the world works in Jesus' kingdom, I see the most beautiful, truly good, and altogether true way to approach this life in the way of Jesus. And when we follow the way of Jesus, it causes and brings the reality that we hope for, which is the third component of the kingdom of God. The third component being the kingdom of God is the reality of a fully redeemed world that we experience partly now and fully when Jesus returns. The kingdom of God is the reality of a fully redeemed world that we experience partly now and fully when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, when he comes back, which he's promised to do in the scripture, we know we live in an utterly broken world. And we all have to deal with pain and with suffering day to day, week to week, month to month. We can never escape it. But in Revelation 21.4 and Isaiah 25.8, we get this promise that when Jesus returns, death will be no more. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. When Jesus returns, the world will be freed and redeemed from sin and from suffering, suffering, we call this the new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, a perfect world. This is the hope that we have, that Jesus will come back and make everything right. Imagine that, a perfect world. In scripture, Jesus' resurrection from the dead 
is the sign that points us to a redeemed world. Death being the greatest consequence of our suffering in our broken world and of sin. And Jesus overcame that greatest evil, death. And in that points us to the hope that we have in him. That at the end of days, even death will be overcome. Suffering will be over. In Jesus' resurrection, we also have a promise, not only of a redeemed world, but our own individual redeemed lives and resurrected lives. You and I will be resurrected into heavenly bodies and spend eternity worshiping God in a perfect, restored, and redeemed world. Isn't that a beautiful picture and a true picture of what our hearts truly desire? But until Jesus returns, we wrestle with a broken world, But since Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, what we experience now is the future kingdom that I was just talking about breaking through into the present. We see this in the, amen, we see this in the life and the ministry of Jesus, but we see that now through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, a future kingdom that we hope for breaking through into the present. Many of us understand the future kingdom that blessed hope we have in all things restored and made right. But we either forget or or don't understand that in both the natural and following the way of the kingdom and in the supernatural being used by the Holy Spirit, we are created to bring God's future kingdom here. That the future kingdom is dying to break through into the present. That we would see people redeemed, see people healed, see the power and the work of the Holy Spirit changing, transforming lives and bringing freedom to captives. So if you have your Bibles, we'll finally now open up to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 is where I'll start. This is the kind of the first part of the story where where Peter and John meet the, the crippled beggar and they heal him. What Luke is trying to describe here is an undeniable miracle. Something that can't be denied is absolutely 100% verified miraculous. And we see this in verse 2. He describes the lame crippled man as lame from birth. So think about it. Not a day in this, his life has this man ever walked. It's not like he got in an accident, had walked before, got in an accident, could no longer walk, and then something you know, happened to him later, he was able to walk. No, From the moment he was born, his brain never could get the signals down to his legs and feet to walk. So it was absolutely 100% a miracle that he walked that day. It was the first time in his life that he'd ever walked. Also in verse 2, it says he sat at the beautiful gate, or the gate called beautiful. As a side note, this would have been the perfect place to sit as someone who was receiving alms or, or receiving money from people because he couldn't provide for himself. Is the perfect place because the beautiful gate was where almost all the traffic coming in and out of the temple would have been. And so for every worshiping Jew in Israel and probably around the world, because they came from around the world multiple times a year, tens of thousands of people to worship at the temple. And in Acts 4, we learned that this man had been crippled for 40 years. So he'd probably been there for a long time. (laughs) Almost every worshiping Jew that came to the temple would have known this man, would have seen this man known that he'd been crippled all of his life. And when we look at Jewish standards of evidence, when you read Numbers 35 and Deuteronomy 17 and 19, you find that there's this tradition in the law that nothing can be believed unless there's more than one witness. It says a lot of times you need two or three. 
in this case, you have tens of thousands of people that can witness to the fact that this guy had never walked a day in his life, and now he can walk in Jesus' name. In verses 7 and 8, it says, Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. So you can't really make the argument that Peter helped him up and, you know, you maybe get this picture of Peter holding the guy up and be like, look, he's healed, he can walk. You can't make that argument, though. Because as Luke describes, even though Peter helped him up, we see his feet and his ankles strengthen. And it's kind of like a step-by-step process. He stands, he steps, he runs, he jumps. 100% verifiable, undeniable. Something miraculous has happened when Peter said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. The kingdom of God is demonstrated through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And this is a key function of the work of the Holy Spirit to show what God's future kingdom will look like. For people to experience his future kingdom now, the lame will walk, the blind will see. Freedom from pain and trauma, the kingdom breaking through from the future into the present, healed at the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Part of this, too, is that the supernatural is an avenue God uses to communicate his good news. God uses the work of the Holy Spirit to witness to himself. We see this in verses 10 through 11. The people were astounded. They were amazed. The genuine power and work of the Holy Spirit draws people to God in our suffering and in our darkness. When we see a man we know has never walked healed, there's a light in the darkness. Something changes. How could this be? We get a picture of a better reality than we've experienced in our life up to this point. God uses the work of the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself, to show them not only is he real, but he's good and he loves and he desires you. As we apply this to our life, I want you to understand God works today as he did through Jesus and through the early church. Jesus says in John 14, 12, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. I'll repeat my message from a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit is for you. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will do the same works I have done and even greater works. This is for you. Let's stop compromising and selling short. God can do miracles like we read about in Acts 3 today. Not just in this building, but out there. I'll get to that in a minute. I will repeat, but okay, okay, now I know what I'm saying. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask. It's not some magic formula. Lord, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Use me, oh God. If you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, be continually filled. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your homes, all the places that you know people who need Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to use you, not only through your words, but through miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. I can't wait to hear stories of you praying for your coworker and them being healed and brought to faith because that God showed his love and his care and his power to them through you. I can't wait to hear the stories of the Holy, gifts of the Holy Spirit working through you 
speaking through you, things that are beyond coincidence, but people realize maybe there is something to this whole Jesus thing. May we see the reality, the power, and the goodness of God's kingdom break through in Fergus Falls and Pelican Rapids and Battle Lake and all the places that we live. In Jesus' name. Second point, the kingdom demonstrated in the natural. The kingdom demonstrated in the natural. I couldn't talk about demonstrating the kingdom of God without talking about how we demonstrate the kingdom in the natural realm. From cover to cover of Scripture, we find that God is so concerned for the poor, the oppressed, and the foreigner. In Leviticus 19, 9-10, God commands the Israelites to leave parts of their fields unharvested so that the poor and the, and the foreigner could be provided for. In Proverbs, we see so much said about God's concern for the poor in the prophets, in the gospels, in the pastoral epistles of the New Testament. From cover to cover, God is commanding his people to care for the poor, the oppressed, and the foreigner. Part of proclaiming the good news of being evangelistic is about meeting needs through time, effort, energy, money, and relationships invested into people who have great need. God has given you resources, skills, abilities that he desires for you to give to those who need, those who are in need. God wants his future kingdom to break through in the present as you follow the way of Jesus, meeting people's needs, loving them where they're at, giving them shelter, food, clothing, a friend, safety, security, and watch as you meet needs of people who are in need, how, how suffering and brokenness begin to fall off of them, shake off of them. We see the power of suffering shaken, shaken and broken off people's lives as we follow the way of Jesus and meet needs. The kingdom displayed in the natural in this way, though, is so often the work that we as Christians downplay or ignore as a secondary importance. Going back to the beginning, evangelism is more about telling people about Jesus, and eventually we fall off the wagon a little bit in terms of showing people love through action. But if we are not in our community meeting needs, then we're missing a crucial part of who we're meant to be. If we are not in our community meeting needs, and putting God's love into action, then we're missing a crucial part of who we're meant to be as individual followers of Jesus and as a church. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, James says, Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Isn't that us? Oh, you're in need? Praying for you, brother right? This can be our reaction at times. To demonstrate God's kingdom in the natural is to understand that people won't care about the need they can't see until you meet the need they can see. A cold, hungry, abused, neglected, abandoned person, etc., their circumstances, sometimes can't see Jesus until you meet the need they can see. Like I said earlier, offering someone Security, safety, friendship, compassion, empathy, shelter, food, meeting their need where they're at, 
When you meet the need they can see, they can begin to see their need for Jesus. We've got to meet the need they can see. And it's also not a game. We don't meet the need just so that we can introduce them to Jesus. We meet the need because God loves them. And he communicates his love through action. It's not just something we do as a sales pitch. It's real. God loves and cares for them. Like it says in scripture, as much as I care for the lilies of the valley and the birds, I meet their needs. How much more do I care for you? God communicates his love to us and through us by meeting our needs. We so often separate in our culture and in the church words and action. We create this false dichotomy that one is more important than the other. You know, actions speak louder than words or, or however of the other phrases that you've heard. But what I want to say today is that both actions and words are crucial for effectively communicating love. They must work together. In fact, I would say they're inseparable. Words and actions are crucial for effectively communicating love. So as we apply this to our life, I encourage you not to look at the church or the organization that you're a part of that is part of meeting needs, but look at yourself. Look at your own life. What am I doing to meet needs in my community? What could I do more? Where could I start? I'm not here to heap shame, but the sense that I'm getting is that there should be a fire burning in us. That as we look at broken people in our community, that there should be a fire in us that desires to see the future kingdom break through into the present in their lives as we follow the way of Jesus and meet their needs. It should break our hearts and it should mobilize us and get us off our seats, get off the bench and get into the game to meet needs of broken people hurting people, people who can't maybe even help themselves. God burned a fire in us to make a difference in our community. Where do we start? Ask yourself, what are you passionate about? What kind of person does your heart just hurt for? Maybe the thing that you're passionate about or the person your heart just hurts for, maybe it scares you what God has put in you. People who are struggling with addiction, single moms, the elderly, people with mental illnesses or disabilities. It may scare you what God is asking you to do, but listen to that voice. Follow what he's put in your heart. Look at our community. What are the needs in our community and how can I as an individual invest my time, my energy, my skills, my abilities, my resources, and my finances into making a difference and meeting needs and communicating the love of God through action. Are there organizations in town that address these needs that see the future kingdom break through into the present where I could volunteer or potentially donate? As a church, I'm really excited for what God is birthing and doing right now in outreach ministry and our outward focus, as well as what God has already been doing in the missions and benevolence team. But I'm, I'm so excited for what God is doing. And if, if, if God is convicting you right now if he's putting a fire in your heart to go out into the community we have a team that's developing and planning right now for what God wants us to do outside of these four walls and if that's you come find a pastor today we'd love to get you connected to that team my last point proclaiming God's kingdom 
In verse 12, it says, Peter saw the opportunity and addressed the crowd. So as much as I've focused on displaying God's kingdom today through action, we cannot downplay the importance of telling others about Jesus. We cannot. People in the passage we read today are amazed and astonished by the miracle they've just witnessed. And Peter wants the people to know the good news about why this happened and how it impacts them. In verse 12 through 13 and 16, Peter says, Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is God who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. When God uses you in supernatural ways through the Holy Spirit, when God uses you in the natural, as you're obediently following the way of Jesus and putting God's love into action in your life, people are going to ask, why did you do this? Or how did this happen? This is your opportunity to seize the moment. And it's not about pointing to yourselves. Oh, it's because I'm a very loving and compassionate person. Or it's because, oh, it's just, you know, I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. No, this is your opportunity to point to Jesus. And Jesus has changed my life. He's shown me grace, and he's shown me mercy, and he cares about my needs. And I know that he cares about yours, and that's why I'm here today. When the Holy Spirit uses you, how did this happen? Let me tell you about God and the kingdom that's coming. Seize the moments that we have, those opportunities, and don't, don't take it as an opportunity to glorify yourself, but point to Jesus, just like Peter does. Throughout the sermon, we actually see Peter persuading and convincing his audience of really one of their biggest questions, was Jesus Messiah? And I don't really have time to get into it with the time I have left, but there's so many things that, that Peter says that just masterfully address the questions and doubts of his audience. From his reference to Jesus as servant, which is from Isaiah uh, of, in Messianic prophecies, to the suffering of the Messiah, which would have been a contentious point, but he shows how the scriptures prophesied of it. From Moses predicting a prophet like me, from God's plan for redemption through the offspring of the patriarch Abraham, Peter's sermon shows love and empathy and understanding of who he's reaching. And we see him so effectively reach the people he's trying to reach, so much so that thousands come to faith in Jesus through Peter's words that day. As we proclaim God's kingdom in our own life, may we seek to follow Peter's example. May we capitalize on the opportunities as we see the future kingdom breaking through into the present in natural and supernatural ways to point to Jesus. May we speak with humility and point people to God instead of ourselves. And lastly, may we love and empathize and understand who we're reaching and seek to effectively communicate to them, not just as so often we've focused on in the, especially the evangelical church, on the intellectual issues that people may have in terms of their questions or concerns about faith. But may we understand the issues of the heart, people searching for meaning, wrestling with brokenness and pain and suffering, people looking for a better way, for love, joy, belonging, peace. May we seek to understand where the broken are and show them 
not only in surface level ways, but in the true deep way that God answers their questions, the way that God meets their needs, how he is the answer, the hope that they've been missing. Worship team, you can come. As I close, I got this picture that they're going to throw up on the screen. Um, You see a guy who's pretty ripped up top and uh, on the bottom, not so much. Uh, This is definitely photoshopped, quite photoshopped. Uh, However, there are some great memes out there of real-life people that aren't too far off of this. We would call these people the ones who skip leg day. And they say, don't, don't skip leg day. But as I look at this picture, I think it's a good analogy for us as the church at times. In our evangelism, we can flex these muscles of how to share your faith and tell people about Jesus. And yet be so weak and God's other intentions and purpose for evangelism to, sh- to demonstrate his love through the work of the Holy Spirit and through following the way of Jesus. Don't skip leg day. We're not the church that we ought to be if we oversimplify evangelism. We are meant to demonstrate God's love through the work of the Holy Spirit, through following the way of Jesus, and through proclaiming the good news and telling people about Jesus. Together, when we work and allow all of this to work together in our life, we give lost people a much better shot of seeing what God and his kingdom are really all about. When action and and words are put together, that God doesn't just say he loves them, but he shows them he loves them, and that they would experience that in their heart. If you all will stand with me as we go into this time of worship, I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray with this body of believers today that you would put in us a hunger and a thirst. May we hunger and thirst for the real power of God to work among us, not just in this room, but out in our community and all the places that we go that your reality and your goodness and your kindness would be evident through the work of your Holy Spirit flowing through the lives of your people here today. Give us a hunger and thirst, God, to be a body that takes action, that makes a difference. As individuals and as a congregation, God, give us a hunger and thirst to invest our lives, our time, our energy, and our money into meeting the needs of lost and hurting and broken people in our community. Lord Jesus, I pray for an anointing on this church to love people who have been historically ignored and hurt by your church. We are broken and in need of you. And as the church, capital C Church, Lord, we've hurt people. We've made mistakes. God, may you allow us and just pour your grace out on us to love people who have even been hurt by the church. God, may we show them your goodness. Show them your love, oh God through actions and through words. No hypocriticalness in us or in you. May they see that in Jesus' name. God, may we hunger and thirst for your kingdom to break out in Fergus Falls. In every life, not just on our own, may we not hoard you for ourselves, but God, may we seek to see your kingdom come and break through Lord, in every neighborhood, in every school, in every workplace, oh God. 
May we see not only your power, but your goodness and your love. Oh, we want you, Lord. Help us to be obedient from a place of transformation. Align our hearts with you in the way that we reach out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.